Several years ago, I, I read an illustration that says uh, people come in to worship on Sunday mornings much like they board an airplane. They, they come, they are satisfied with a predictable experience. They're happy if they get to exit the same way that they entered. They come in, file in, sit down, face straight ahead, stick to ourselves, grateful if we don't have to have much interaction with those around us, and happy then to return later for another experience just like the one we just had. People come to worship much like they enter into an airplane. But that's not always the case, this man said. Every once in a while, a child will get on an airplane, and he says, you can hear them squeal with delight and say things like, do you really think I might be able to meet the pilot? Will I be able to see the man up front, they'll say. And if it so happens that during the flight they are able to meet the pilot to get the little set of wings that the pilot gives to them and be introduced to him, their entire trip has been made. And their their recount of the flight afterwards is not like yours and mine. How was your flight? And we will typically say it was it was fine, it was uneventful, is what we'll oftentimes say. No, these Children, especially the ones that get to meet the pilot, experience on their, one of their early flights, they will say things like, I can't believe I got to fly. I can't believe I was on an airplane. I can't believe I got to meet the guy up front. I can't wait. I cannot wait to get to do this again. And I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking it this week as I've been studying this passage in Acts chapter 16, remembering that illustration. And the question that we get, the question that we ask is, how do you come into this encounter with God? How do you come into it and and what's your response when you do come into an encounter with God? How do you respond? What does that response mean? look like. Here in Acts chapter 16, we see several different responses in this passage. People who came into contact with God through the ministry of Paul and Silas, and we're going to see what their different responses look like. Let me remind you of how we've got to this point here in Acts chapter 16. Earlier, you remember back in Acts chapter 15, they had the council in Jerusalem and over circumcision. We're not going to go back and look at all of that. But following that, Paul decided he needed to get back out on the, on the mission field. He wanted to go back to see those churches that he had set up. He wanted to share with them the decision that had been made in Jerusalem and to share that letter. And he and Barnabas could not agree on how they were going to go. They couldn't agree on John Mark, whether or not he should go along with them. And so Paul and Barnabas, who had been traveling together, split up. Barnabas and John Mark went off to Cyprus. Paul and Silas now is traveling with him. They traveled north, and they began to head uh, up to to Tarsus first, and then back into into the cities that they had visited earlier. 
I have a map showing us that. Hopefully you can see it a little bit. I think it helps us to have that perspective. So Paul is, is journeying around the right side. He is the red. He is on the, the red arrows that's going around the right side. And at the beginning of chapter 16, what we looked at last week was, was Paul was, was in Antioch of, of Pisidia, kind of a little bit more to the left of where the boat is. There we go. He was there and he wanted to travel into Asia and, and felt that the Holy Spirit was not allowing him to get into Asia, so they, they went north. They wanted to get into Bithynia, and so, so they traveled north, but when they got there, the Spirit then told them that they, they were not able to get into Bithynia and to share there, and so they continued to travel on the Roman roads, began to continue to travel on, around, and came there to Troas. And it was there, it was there that Paul has a dream from the Macedonian man, it tells us, calling him over to Macedonia, calling him over so that he might help them, that he might share the gospel. And we talked just about the way that God leads us. That was one of the, the things we talked about last week, that, that sometimes, sometimes well, all we need to do is just go. We need to do something. We need to follow through on what we know God has called us to. And, and that's what Paul and his companions were, were doing. They were, they were trying to go to where they felt God was calling them to go. And so they were moving, continuing to move. When a door would close, they would turn and head north. And when that door would close, they would turn and they would head west. They continued to try to do something. And then they would stop when they saw that God was saying stop. We don't know exactly how the Spirit told them to do that, but, but it's clear that the Spirit did tell them to stop, and so they, they stopped and stopped heading in the direction that they were trying to go. But when God says go, you go. And they knew that God had given them this vision. God had given them this call to now head over into Macedonia, that he had called them to share as the Macedonian man had begged for help. He had called them to share. And so we jump into chapter 16 in verse 11. Let's start, let's read it together, beginning in verse 11, to see what happens as they head to Macedonia. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Somthrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down, spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by, by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, 
having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans do accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We're going to stop there today. Paul's been called by the Macedonian man. Come over here. Come and help us. Paul, I don't think, intended to cross over the sea to head into Macedonia. As I mentioned last week, he had, had wanted, it appears, what we what we perceive is that he had wanted to get to Ephesus. That was a city center in that area, in that area of Asia. That was his hope, was to get over there. He, he, he continued in his ministry to try to find those, those larger urban areas so that he could stand in the synagogue, so that he could share, so that he could preach, so that he could point to Jesus in those moments. And so his hope was to get to Ephesus. He had wanted to cross over through Asia to get there, but was not able to do that. Went up and around. Was now called to Macedonia. And so now, now they board a boat, Paul and Silas. Also Timothy. We picked up Timothy last week, if you remember that part of the story. And Timothy was immediately circumcised, even after Paul had made such a big deal out of circumcision not being a requirement for salvation. But instead, it became important, an important tool in evangelism. And so he, Paul and Silas and Timothy are together. And Luke picks up the story. It's no longer, as we read through the book of Acts, we're no longer reading about what they did. But now we're reading about what we are doing. So Luke, the author of Acts, is now included in the story as well. So those four men that we know of, are traveling together. They, they get on a boat, they travel across the sea, and now they are in the continent of, of Europe, what we would consider currently Europe, crossed over from Asia into Europe. And things are different when they get there. They get to the city of Philippi, the, the, a, a leading city, Luke tells us. Commentators tell us that Luke adds some of those phrases because this is his hometown, probably, and so he's telling us about how great his hometown of Philippi is. They get to Philippi, they gather in Philippi, but there's no synagogue, apparently. They're not able to gather together in the synagogue where they typically have done. That, that would mean, commentators tell me, that means that there's probably not even 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi. If there was a minimum of 10 Jewish men, they would have a synagogue, and they, and they don't, it appears. And so... Uh, as, when it comes to the Sabbath, they decide to head out to the outside of the gates. They head to the, to the riverside, and it's there that they meet some women. Particularly, the one we learn about here in Acts chapter 16 is Lydia. 
Lydia is from, she is not from Philippi. She is a foreigner into Philippi. She actually is from the, the area of Asia that Paul had wanted to travel through and was not able to. She there is a seller of purple goods, Luke tells us. For us, that may not tell us much, but a seller of purple goods in that time in history would have been a person of means. Purple goods were considered to be the clothing or the, the, the attire of royalty, and so the common person would not have, have had a need for purple goods, nor would have been involved in the selling of them. And so Lydia probably had some connections with, with those who were in the government, some of the high-ranking officials, she had means and she had connections. And she's at the riverside. She's a believer in God, Luke tells us. And on that day, on this day, as Paul is there, Luke tells us that God opened up her heart to pay attention. Opened up her heart to pay attention. Just another reminder. We have seen this over and over and over here in the, in the book of Acts. But God is the one who does the work. People respond. People, people are, are, are open. They, they call out on the name of the Lord. We'll even see that here in this story. But God is the one that does the work. He is the one that opens her heart to pay attention. And it's on this day that Lydia is moved. She's encouraged. She's saved. She hears and understands and knows the words of Paul, God has opened her heart, and Lydia becomes a believer. Lydia is, is baptized immediately, she and her house, and, and as a result of that baptism, as a result of, of what she has heard from Paul, the result of God opening her heart, her, she immediately responds by inviting this entourage of at least four men, Paul and Timothy and, and uh, Silas and Luke, Invites this entourage to come and, and to be a part of, of her house, to come and live at her house, and, and shows hospitality to them. Again, probably another sign that she had some means. And the question that we have today is, what, what do you do in this encounter? What's the response that these people have in this encounter with God? What was Lydia's response on this day? We see Lydia was attentive, that Lydia was had a, had a life change moment in this encounter that Lydia was, was inspired to generosity, that her, her life is now different than it was before this encounter. And maybe this morning that's how you come into this encounter with God, this experience. Maybe that's how you come in today as well. You're here. God is opening your ears and heart so that you might know your life has been changed. You have, have seen the hope that comes through Jesus. You've heard it declared, you've understood it, and you've responded. And you come today wondering, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I use the gifts and the things that God has given to me to better help those who are declaring and promoting the Spirit of God? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your response today, like Lydia's. There's some other responses, though, in this passage as well. The next character that we see after Lydia is, 
is a slave girl, and the slave girl is, is not just the slave girl, but this slave girl seems to be possessed by a spirit of divination, Luke tells us. That she could tell future events. She was used by several men so that, so that they might make money by using her and the spirit that was inside of her um, as kind of a, a carnival show so that people might come and, and see her and respond to her and pay them money for the show that she might put on. And she begins to follow after Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke, follow after them, chase them around, follow them around wherever they're going, the whole time proclaiming, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Seems like a good thing, doesn't it? It seems like a good thing that she's wandering around, being the town crier, shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. Even spirits of divination, even demons, can see and know the truth of God at work. And in fact, and in fact, will declare the truth of God They will declare the truth of God oftentimes so that they might be able to twist those truths, to abuse those truths and turn them into lies. Oftentimes, Satan uses and abuses truth to get you to a place where you will believe something that's completely untrue. And that seems to be what's happening here. This girl, this spirit inside the girl, follows Paul and his entourage and says over and over, these men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to you the way of salvation. At first, maybe even Paul and and the others are probably grateful, maybe, that she is declaring that truth about them and about the ministry that they're sharing. Maybe they're glad that she's there. Maybe the owners are also glad. They, they see that she's there, that she's drawing a crowd, that, that people are responding and hearing what she has to say. So the owners of this slave girl, they probably are okay with it for a while as well. They're okay in this encounter. She's building a reputation. She's building a following. But Paul, finally, after several days, Luke tells us, Patience wears thin. We're going to talk about Paul's response later here in chapter 16. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it does seem that maybe on Father's Day to give you a little out here. Because how many fathers, as their children have cried out around them, sometimes for several days, have the feeling that Paul has here? Do you see the emotion that Luke gives Paul? Paul, greatly annoyed, calls out to the girl. We don't have any idea what what Paul's family situation is. There's some that will tell us lots of different things, but we don't know for sure. But in this moment, as Paul's being chased around by a girl who's repeating the same thing over and over, Paul gets greatly annoyed. 
Paul, the one who is the, at least the earthly hero here in the book of Acts for much of the second half of Acts. Paul, the one who writes much of the New Testament, that Paul, Paul, one of the heroes of the Bible, is greatly annoyed by the child that's following around repeating the same thing. And it doesn't appear as, it doesn't appear in this moment, at least, that Luke sees this as a bad thing. Sometimes, sometimes, as I prayed earlier, our emotions, our spirits, our, our, our feelings, our feelings betray us. Paul is greatly annoyed and commands, the Bible tells us, the spirit to leave. What's the response of the spirit? It leaves immediately. It immediately has to obey because everything submits. Everything submits to the name of Jesus, including the spirit of divination. What's his response, the demonic spirit's response here? Recognition of the most high God, instant submission to the name of Jesus and the ability to twist the truth so that we might believe a lie. Maybe that's, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and, and you have knowledge of what we're talking about. You know the word. You've heard it. You understand it. You, you even can say some of the right things this morning, but but you'd use it for your own means to your own ends, much like this spirit was in the life of this girl. The spirit immediately leaves her, and Luke tells us that when that happens, the next characters in this story are not happy. The slave girl's owners are upset. In fact, Commentators tell us that, that Luke has a play on words which doesn't translate very easily for us, but it's something to the effect of, of the word is the same where it says, the spirit left her and the money-making left them. It's kind of the play. The spirit left her and when that happened, the profit opportunity, the money-making left them. And they're not happy about it. They're upset about it. And so they immediately have Paul and Silas seized. They immediately began to tell a story about Paul and Silas and what they're doing and, and twisting the ministry that they're leading so that, so that they might gain support from the crowd and so that they might finish Paul and Silas, at least get them arrested, taken out of commission so that they won't hurt their business any longer. And that's exactly what happens. These men stir up the crowd, they get the magistrates involved, and Paul and Silas are arrested. These men are, are angry, vengeful. Their money-making has dried up. Their profit is now gone. The spirit left her and money-making left them. Their easy money has dried up. The thing that they were hoping on, the things that they were looking 
to the place where they were resting, it's gone. And they're pushing back. What's their response? Anger, revenge. They want to do whatever they can take, do to take care of this problem. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here, but you're here begrudgingly. Maybe you come into these encounters with God and, and you can put up with a little bit. You won't cause a ruckus right away. But don't push too hard. Don't expect too much, you might be thinking. Don't push on or don't take away the thing that brings me life. That was the way the slave owners operated. That was their response. But there's one last response I want us to see here in chapter 16. And we'll talk about it more next week. But Paul and Silas, in the midst of all of this, God has come, he's worked in Lydia, and she's been changed. He's, Paul has spoken in the name of Jesus to move the spirit out of the girl. She now has been changed. The owners of the girl, they're upset. They're pushing back against what God is doing. And Paul and Silas are now arrested. They're thrown, they're beaten, they're thrown into prison, not just into prison, but into the, into the deepest, most secure, the, the place where they cannot escape, where they cannot get away, and are, are maybe even being tortured a bit while they're there with the shackles that are put on them. And their response in this encounter, their response in the midst of this, Luke spells it out pretty clearly. It's midnight, and Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. Even in the midst of this hardship, even in the midst of this suffering, even in the midst of this unjust punishment that they've been given, their response is praying and singing of hymns to God. And as we'll see next week as we continue in this passage, we'll see that their response leads to the response of some others. That God uses the response that Paul and Silas have here to impact and change the lives of others, to further declare his gospel. And so, this morning as we, as we close the question that I started with, how do you come into this encounter with God? Do you come this morning eager to hear? Do you come this morning with your heart opened by God so that you might better see and know and understand the gospel so that your life might be changed? Do you come today begrudgingly, possibly, looking for what what you might get out of this for yourself, looking for Looking for a way to make it worth your while? Or do you come anxious to worship, compelled even to worship? That was Paul and Silas. They could not stop worshiping and singing. Even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of suffering, they too feel compelled. They must 
worship. How do you come into this encounter today? Are you satisfied to just come and to sit and face forward and to leave the same way you came in? Or is God at work in you and you're compelled to worship this morning? The worship team's going to come. I've asked them just to repeat a song that we sang earlier. I hadn't intended on that this morning. But the song that we sang earlier, Just As I Am, that we come broken, that we come needing to be mended, that we come needing to see God at work in us. I think that's so appropriate this morning. And so we're going to repeat that song this morning. Would you stand with me as we sing and as we close today? Just as I am without one plea, but that the blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God I I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God. Just as I am Just as I am I would be lost But mercy and grace My freedom bought And now to I come desperate to be rescued I come
Timothy chapter 1. And now to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Mm-hmm. 